So hear the word of the Lord. Our passage today is Luke chapter 5, verses 49 through 53. As we study this ongoing sermon, this one sermon from Luke 12, verse 1 to Luke 13, verse 9, the Lord says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be with your people on the Lord's day. And we pray now you take the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would make application to our hearts and instruct us in the way of the Lord. Uh, We plead for your leadership and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a new catechism that's just been released a few months ago. It's entitled The New City Catechism. You'll be hearing about it and reading it. But question number five asks this, what else did God create? The heavens and the earth. And the answer is, God created all things by his powerful word, and all his creation was very good. Everything flourished under his loving rule. says, well, God made the heavens and the earth and said, it is very good. And everything flourished under his loving rule. Uh, The Bible talks about the very goodness of creation and how the Lord did that. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Or Colossians chapter 1 says this, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, flourishing, blessing. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it says, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. So so it was very good, flourishing under the fatherly, loving rule of God. But sin entered the human race, and everything was turned upside down. 
But even in the midst of this rebellion, God looked at one man named Abram and he said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. You're going to become Abraham. And through you, I will bless the nations of the earth because I'm going to choose the Jews as my chosen people to be a light to the nations. And I'm going to institute a sacrificial system that for signifies the coming Messiah King. And that sacrificial system will teach you that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin, and it will make you anticipate the coming Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And so even in the midst of rebellion and heartache, and, 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 and God made a way to be worshiped through the sacrificial system, through the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why the Bible says in Galatians 4 that, that in the fullness of time, God was born of a woman under the law to redeem those under the law, that's us, that we might receive the full rights of sons. So in the fullness of time, God became a man and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. And it was a horrid death. It was a brutal death. It was a death that involved being falsely accused and betrayed and beaten and mocked and brutalized. But hear me, the most horrid aspect of this debacle was abandonment. Martin Luther made a great comment about this. Martin Luther said, I've seen many people die, but never did a man fear death the way Jesus feared death. And he said, why? Because it was abandonment, that, that, that there was a moment in time when the eternal diversity and unity of the Trinitarian nature of God was torn asunder and Christ became a sin bearer for us. And so he cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he bore our sins in his body. And then the, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom that went into the Holy of Holies and, and Christ cried out, it is finished, and he died. It's by the work of Christ, it is done. And so that's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, the perfect sinless Son of God, God made him a new no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might receive the righteousness of God. God looks at us through the work of Jesus. That's the gospel. And, and so that's why Christ says in Luke 12, verse 49, I, I came to cast a fire on the earth, a fire of judgment and purity, and, and would that it were already kindled I have a baptism, an immersion, a, a walking into, a full going into. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress, distress, until it is accomplished. And Christ is saying, I wish the cross were over. And he was declared to be God with power by his bodily resurrection from the dead. Thus he became the ultimate and final sacrifice for sins. He fulfills the Old Testament sacrificial system by his one act upon the cross. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and church because of him, because of the cross. We have redemption, we have forgiveness, 
and we have adoption into the family of God by faith. We have God's shalom spoken over us eternally. We have human flourishing. And so because of the cross, there should be a sign hanging in our homes that says this, welcome back to Eden, kind of. We can't get totally into Eden because we still deal with sin, but because of the goodness of Christ and, and, and the work of the Spirit in our life and the fact that He's changing us, God says to us, because of the cross, welcome back to Eden, kind of. The curse is reversed. Come on. There's fellowship. Welcome back to Eden, kind of. But listen to me. There are still forces of, there are forces of evil. There's a devil there's indwelling sin in our lives that seek to pull us out of the joy of going back into Eden. The devil is committed to continually blinding the eyes of those who do not see the glory of Jesus. And he's committed to obfuscating or covering the beauty of Jesus for those of us who know him. He can't take Christ from us totally, but, but he can cause us to be caught up in issues and things and sin and inattention that rob us from the glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it talks about the blinding that the devil does in the lives of people. And, and this is what it says. Starting in verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You see, we all have family members and friends and neighbors who we dearly love and we talk to them about the things of the Lord and we invite them to this and we talk about Christ and they look at us and say, you know, I, yeah, I just don't get it. You know why? Because Satan has blinded their eyes. They may be noble-hearted, wonderful people, but they just don't see. So we need to pray that God would open the eyes of people to see the glory of Jesus. Because the devil is in the business of continually blinding the eyes of people. And he's in the business of trying to, to cover up or to horrendously obscure the beauty of Jesus. Listen to another passage. The same book, previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 14. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, verse 13, who put a veil over his face so that they might not gaze upon the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds, the minds of the unbelieving Jews in the Old Testament, their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ the same is it taken away. See, it's only through the gospel the veil is lifted. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is ripped away. Now, now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're being transformed. God says, welcome back to Eden. As we see Jesus and, and as we glory in Christ and rejoice in him. Now, uh, 
several years ago. My, my wife and my daughter, who just graduated from high school, my daughter, not my wife, had the opportunity of going to uh, Hungary on a mission trip. So we went and we took some time afterwards to go to Croatia, which is next door. And so I did my research and where are we going to go, how are we going to do this, what are we going to do, yada, yada, yada. So I, I did all that. And, and, and everything I read said, if you go to Croatia, do not miss Plavitsi National Park. So Plavitsi National Park is one of the wonders of Europe. It's 275 square kilometers. It has 16 terraced lakes that, are, that go from lake to lake with waterfalls and a humongous, unbelievable limestone cavern as part of this unbelievable park. I said, we're going there. We're going there. So I'm driving. This is before GPS. Now, those of you who are young, you have no idea what a gift GPSs are to you. You have no idea. You're, you're growing up with GPS where you go, you want to find some bizarre coffee shop and you go, show me my bizarre coffee shop. And they just, you don't know how many times I've been lost trying to read a map, trying to communicate to people that don't speak English, trying to find a place. And that's just in Greenville. It's worse, <laughs> it's worse overseas. So anyway, so I had no GPS. I just had a map, just want to go to Plavitsi. And so we're going toward Hungary. I said, man, I can't wait to get to Plavitsi. I'm driving. My daughter's in the back seat. She's doing her thing. She's not driving. She's inattentive. The navigator sitting next to me is sleeping. Now, she says she wasn't, but she's just wrong. And she was sleeping, and so I, I start passing this, this string of, 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 of tr big trucks. I just pull over and say, yeah, I'm start making good time. And I'm, I'm looking for road signs, Plavitsi National. Plavitsi, where's Plavitsi? Then I see a sign that says, welcome to Hungary. So I'm pulled over and I'm able to find somebody that can speak English a little bit. And I said, I'm trying to find Plavitsi Park. He said, oh, it's 70 kilometers back that way. I said, we got to make a plane. We can't, we, can't, we can't do it. So I didn't get to go to Plavitsi Park. Now, that's a life lesson. Listen, so the, my problem is I didn't have a GPS. Here's your GPS. You give attention to Scripture. My problem was that my beloved navigator was asleep. It's easy to be asleep spiritually. Another problem was the other person in the car, wasn't her fault, was being inattentive. A lot of times we miss the beauty of Jesus because we're inattentive or we're not listening to the GPS or we're asleep at the wheel. So let's go to Luke 12. In Luke 12, how to get back into Eden. We've been covering this passage. So Christ comes out of the gate as he looks at thousands of people, and he looks at the people that were following him, and he says, be very wary of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. I've said it several times. Hypocrisy is, is wanting to appear to people to be something that is optimal that may not even be true. But you play to an audience of people instead of living to the living God. You want to be applauded by men for your works and for being a good guy and for giving. And, and, and Jesus says, you know, when you give and when you fast and when you pray, do it in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will openly bless you. But don't, don't do it to be applauded by people. So, so a hypocrite placed an audience of many instead of living before 
the living God. And the devil travels around along well-worn paths, doesn't he? There's nothing new in his attacks. Hypocrisy. And, and so the way you conquer hypocrisy is you, you, you fear God more than men. Jesus says, don't fear man. What can man do to you other than put you to death? But you fear the one who has eternity in his hands. And, and you, as you fear him or you reverence him or you worship him, you realize he's numbered the hair upon your head. And he loves birds, but you're more important than birds. You're the cranny work of God's creation. So you run to the embrace of Abba, Father. We recently had an 18-month-old little boy in our home. It was fun. And he would fall down or not get what he wanted, and he would start crying. And I would pick him up, and he would still be restless. But if mom or dad walked in the door, boom. Tears were gone, smile on his face. See, there's something about running to Abba Father who is good and glorious that takes away the tears. There's something about going to the one who says, I made the birds, they're beautiful and I love them, but you're more important than birds that gives me assurance. There's something about going to the one who says, I've numbered the hair upon your head that gives me great confidence. It's hard to believe, but in, it was, it's been, since 1994, our state was in the focal point of an international issue. In October of 1994, there was a woman in a small town called Union, South Carolina, who hysterically said, I was driving, I stopped at a stoplight, a man came in, pulled me out of the car, and drove off with my car with my 13-month-old and my three-year-old buckled up in the back seat. And there was a statewide alarm, nationwide alarm. People descended upon it. National news. Two days later, the authorities were able to piece together the fact that she was lying and she confessed that she went to a local lake outside of Union, South Carolina, buckled in her boys and pushed the car into the lake and sat there as the car went into the lake and her boys drowned to death. And Time Magazine came out the next week with this cover story. And it could be said by the living God. They said, how could she do it? And I was introduced to a new word. The word was filicide, which means a parent killing their child. There's a passage, several passages, but one is in Isaiah and the Lord is trying to communicate his love for his people. And so he asked this rhetorical question. Isaiah 49, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget. Behold, I have engraven you on the palms of my hands. God says, you know, in your wildest, most fantastic, unbelievable, untethered imagination, there may be somewhere, some, some, uh, a woman who would abandon or forget her nursing son, but not me, ever. You're engraven on the palms of my hands. You're not there with a, a washable 
marker, you're engraven. What confidence, what confidence. But there, there are many people here and in, the, and in the worship center who have come from homes where they were abandoned. Alcohol abuse, physical abandonment, parents with multiple marriages, live-in partners. The last week I was with a wonderful young woman, oh, just wonderful. And uh, she's been very involved in our campus outreach ministry. It's just delightful. And I, I said, tell me about your family. She said, well, I have these half-sisters and half-brothers. And, and, and I said, how about your dad? She said, ah, I've kind of sort of seen my dad twice. And I went, oh. No. Let me tell you something. There's nothing much better than putting your arm around your kid and saying, this is my kid. And then walking away with a swagger you do not deserve. <laughs> because it's grace. But you still like take, take, take credit. There's nothing sweeter than that. And I, I thought about the heartache for this dear woman. I thought about the heartache for her dad who missed having the opportunity of, 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 of embracing an accomplished, kind, gracious young woman. It broke my heart. And I found myself praying for her this week and I've said, Lord, Show her the Abba Father goodness of your love through the cross of Jesus. Show her that you love birds. You said their birds are very good, but she's more important than birds. Show her that you've numbered the hair upon her head. Let her see it. So, so if we're going to find hypocrisy, we reverence God and we run to his fatherly embrace. Secondly, we, we joyfully obey the Son. We acknowledge him and obey him. And thirdly, we welcome the Holy Spirit who teaches us and exalts the name of Jesus. And then if we're to enter into Eden, not only do we combat hypocrisy, but also we combat the bigger barn mentality very quickly. We talked about this for two weeks, but, but this, Jesus tells a parable in the midst of this teaching and he says, hey, there's a man who had a bumper crop and he built bigger and bigger barns because he didn't want to share it with people and he talked to himself and he, he didn't acknowledge that gifts came from God and he didn't walk under the blessing of God. And he said, you know, the Lord says today you're going to die. And what will bigger barns do for you now? And so, so the teaching is, is that, that, that selfishness and arrogance choke out the reality of God in your life. Realize that God blesses us. So if I'm going to enter into Eden, I've got to combat bigger barns mentality and, and bigger accomplishments and being self-aggrandizing and selfly pompous and arrogant. And then fourthly, I've got to live with urgency. I've got to live with an awareness of my life. So he, he says this in verse 43 to 48. He talks about the servant that does the will of the Lord and how the Lord will serve that servant. It's amazing. He says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing his will when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. And then he mentions three different types of people who were judged. But, but if that servant says to himself, number one, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the, the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, and the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour, he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Then number two, 
And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Thirdly, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. And here's what I think he's saying here. These are three judgments that end up in a place called eternal judgment, called hell, uh, but they're of different severity. There are those who know full well, they're taught, they're nurtured, but they spurn the reality of Christ. And he says, that's going to be very difficult for them on the day of judgment. There are others who know, but not as much. And, they, and, and then there's a third group that really don't know that much, but they're outside of the reality of Christ, and they're still going to be involved in eternal judgment. Hell's diminished for them, but hell is still hell. Understand, understand me. There are those this is, who say there must be a hidden Christ in Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or Jainism or Baha'ism or whatever for, for people who are noble and gracious and kind, but they do not come to know Christ. Surely there's a wideness in God's mercy. There's a book entitled that, A Wideness in God's Mercy. Here's a biblical witness. The biblical witness is the only way to be made right with the God who is eternal and who is there and who is triune is, is through the bloody cross of Good Friday. That's the only way to be made right with the living God. That's why we send people to the unreached people groups in the 1040 window or to these massive cities or these campuses because the only way for men and women and boys and girls to come to faith in the living God and to be saved and go to heaven is through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the biblical witness. And yet there are degrees of judgment. But it says, make no mistake about it. Now, There's something that was, that happened several years ago called the Jesus Seminar. And the Jesus Seminar was made up of some very bright men and women who had studied and they knew Greek and they studied the Gospels. And, and they got together and they said, we, we're going to study and have a colloquium and we're going to determine what parts of the Gospel really are authentically from Jesus and what parts are not. They're, they're very bright people. But their presupposition was, well, this is just a, a mishmash of myths and sayings. This isn't authoritative. And so they got together, and, and this, this really happened. They, they had three different colors. They had one color that said, this is definitely from Jesus. Another color says, I don't know. And a third color that says, this definitely is not part of the Jesus story that I know. That's called arrogance. It's called arrogance. And so they would read a passage and so they, they would vote. Some would say, well, I'm, this is definitely from Jesus. Or some say, well, maybe not. But then they'd read some passages and they'd say, this definitely does not reflect Jesus. This has got to be something added on. Even though the early church and the apostles affirmed it, this is added on. I guarantee you this passage would have been blackballed. It's tough. Verse 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth. No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there'll be five, three against two and two against three, mother against daughter, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, father against son. They say, wow. See, here's the issue. 
Peace comes only through the cross of Jesus. The peace verses in the Bible presuppose the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For example, in Luke chapter 2, where the angels say, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or Ephesians 2 presupposes the cross. He himself is our peace who's made both into one, Jew and Gentile. And he came and he preached peace. Or Colossians 1, he has made peace by the blood of his cross. You see, peace presupposes the, the work of Jesus. It is an ominous thing to meet the triune God outside of the embrace of the cross of Jesus. And that's why Simon or Simeon said in when he met Christ in the temple, the newly, newly born Christ, he said, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Some will fall, others will rise. It'll be, there'll be a division because of who Jesus is. Or 1 Peter 6, 2, verse 6 says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe the stone, Jesus, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He says, just for some people, Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And because people want to work their way into the presence of God by their self-effort and not through the work of the Lamb of God. So, so, the, so the issue, the issue, church, is that, is that when you go into Eden, you're going into Eden, and, and the Holy Spirit is pushing you deeper into the embrace of the Father, and, and there's a world system that is, that, is, that, that is pulling you out, and it's remaining sin, it is the world system, it is the devil that, that wants to pull you out and cover the glory and beauty of Jesus, but, but, but the Holy Spirit pushes you in. There's a clash of worldviews. And it's, it's stark, and it's real, and it is there. Um, that's why our purpose statement is this equipping people, equipping to pursue Jesus passionately to impact the culture. That's why we have Sunday Bible fellowship classes. That's why we have vacation Bible school for hundreds and hundreds of kids. Not only to give them a good time, but we want to get the Word of God in their life so they can think, begin to think. That's why we have youth pastors for middle school and high school, not to entertain, but to teach them, to disciple them. That's why we have Palmetto Christian Academy where children are taught to think about every discipline under the Lordship of Jesus. That's why we have our campus hours. That's why we have Rosaria Butterfield Weekend who comes in and speaks on the LGBTQ movement and how to respond to that. That's why we have re-engaged classes where people are taught how to think and respond to each other biblically in, in the midst of the, the conflict that's going to be in every marriage, how to be reconciled under the Lordship of Christ. Because there's this pushing and pulling process. And even now, right now, there's a pushing and pulling process in your hearts. The Holy Spirit is pushing you and sin is pulling you. And so it's inevitable that, that worldviews will collide, especially, especially, especially when you live in a culture that seems to be slipping away from the moorings. It was with great sorrow this week that I read about 
about, about this. Great sorrow. Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood last year aborted 327,000 children in our country. One-third of all abortions were carried out by Planned Parenthood, a government-funded agency. They announced last week that it will honor formerly Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton with the group's first-ever, quote, Champion of the Century Award. They commended Mrs. Clinton for being a champion for their movement. And, you know, her, her husband said, we want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare, and she celebrates it as a positive good. That's just it. It's a positive good. They're also going to give on the same night an award to Sonia Rhimes as a champion of change, quote-unquote, for revolutionizing the way women and issues of reproductive health, including safe, legal abortion, are portrayed on television. And she's the producer of a show called Scandal, starring the very gifted, beautiful uh, Carrie Washington, who plays a presidential aide. I think she's having an affair with a couple of men in the show. She becomes pregnant and... Uh, one show, according to this article, shows her having an abortion. As she's having an abortion, the music is piped in, and it's Silent Night, Holy Night. Uh, I'm not going to respond to that. I'm not respond. And so I, I thought, it is a sorrow in my heart that one of the two major parties in this country I love so much champions abortion as a positive good. There's a clash there. Because the Bible affirms the sanctity and beauty of life. So, so here's what happens. If my, if my political party and my family and my neighborhood and my fraternity and my company at the Citadel and my buddies all affirm this and my GPS affirms that, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to stand here. If my denomination, whatever, affirms this and this word affirms that, I'm, I'm going to stand here. If, if, if the Homeowners Association, we know where they're from. Okay, we know where they come from, okay? If, if the Homeowners Association affirms that and the Bible affirms that, I, I'm standing here. And that, that's just a clash of worldviews. So, so what do we do? Let me give you four things, three things. Number one, we think well, think. We speak well, we love really, really well. We care for people. We think well. There's a story in Acts that I just find absolutely scintillating, encouraging, and wild. In, in Acts, Peter and John. Peter and John are two fishermen. That they've got, they, they're, they're, they're not academically trained. They're, they're just regular old rough guys. Uh, they've got leathery skin and it's bronze because of the sun and they need major Botox. I mean, they look rough. And, 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 and yet, Jesus calls them. And so they go out after the resurrection of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and they see this guy healed. And they start preaching Jesus. It says in Acts chapter 4 that they were 
the, 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 the authorities. You know, these are the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the double PhDs who were brilliant and trained and articulate and nuanced in their vocabulary and could catch you in philosophical uh, conundrums. They, were, they had it together. They just did. And it says that when they, uh, they, they were greatly annoyed at these fishermen because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection out of the dead. He was creating a furor. And so they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. And the next day they called them in. And then it says, verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, big dogs, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's strong. Just a fisherman. This is what it says. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, it, it doesn't say that when Peter and John started speaking, all of a sudden they became articulate and started using multisyllabic words and wowed them with their, with their innuendo. Now, they, they still spoke like fishermen. They still mixed up tenses. They still misrepresented words. They still got tongue-tied, but they spoke with boldness and they spoke with conviction. They spoke well. They thought well. And, and they recognized these men as men who'd been with Jesus. It's an amazing statement. So I, I say we must think well and speak well and we've got to love really, really well. We've got to continually think, well, we've got to live in community. There's a book coming out. It's coming out. It's coming out. It's, 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 you're going to hear people refer to it. It's by a guy named Rob Dreer, D-E-H-R-E-R, -E -R, called The Benedictine Option. The Wall Street Journal had a big article about it. Um, I've read major parts of it. His thesis is that because of the growing uh, secularity of our culture, that Christians must, must intentionally live in community like the Benedictine order, not necessarily the colony, but we've got to intentionally have community and we've got to think well and love well. We can't just assume things. We've got to enter into dialogue with each other and say, well, how do we think this out loud? How do we represent this? But you've got to be alert and aware. Now, I just saved you 20 bucks in reading a book. That's the book. But that's what he says. We've got to live in community. And as we live, I think we have to live with broken courageousness, broken courage. I say broken because we are what we are by the grace of God. 
I, I'm amazed at the biblical witness. When, when, when the Bible says, when we were dead in our transgressions and our sins, God made us alive. I just, I, you're dead. You're dead. God breathed life into you. It's amazing to me. John Wesley, the guy who started Methodism, guy from England, started the 18th century. John Wesley used to refer to his life as, he said, I'm a brand plucked from the burning. And what do you mean by that? He was quoting the book of Zechariah, where in Zechariah chapter 3 in the Old Testament, uh, talks about a man named Joshua, the high priest, who's been accused by the devil, who's the accuser of the brethren. And, 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 and the Lord says, stop the accusations. In fact, take a, a, a clean turban and a beautiful robe and put it on this man who's, who's a sinner because he is a brand plucked from the burning. What that means is you've got all these sticks in the fire and God reached down and drew out that stick. Boom. So Wesley says, I'm a brand plucked from the burning. Don't ever forget grace. I enjoy getting to know people, and sometimes I'll have, if I get to know them, I say, tell me about your family history. We all come from dysfunctional families. Everyone here does. Some are more than others. Yeah. So I... I was recently talking to my brother and we were talking about our first cousin, not, not a, our first cousin. Not a third, fourth cousin, three times removed, first cousin. And this guy has he's married numerous times, had several girlfriends, had numerous children from numerous marriages and out of what, I mean, he was kind of a professional gambler, broke his parents' heart, broke my grandmama's heart. Um, in fact, my brother had just seen one of his sons, and his son had moved to the Midwest, I think Nebraska, and he said, I had to move to Nebraska to meet my wife because I was afraid if I stayed in North Carolina, I would inadvertently marry my half-sister. You think about it. That's my first cousin. I also have some talented first cousins, but I'm related to them. Not the others, you know. I have another first cousin who was two years younger than me who died because of heroin abuse when he was 19 years of age, first cousin. And other first cousins that dealt with tough things. God let me hear the gospel as a freshman of the Citadel and he opened my eyes. So don't ever be haughty don't ever forget to speak with brokenness. But be courageous, but speak with brokenness. Because you are a brand plucked from the burning. Why, why, why are you sitting here? Because God has had mercy on your life. And it's, 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 it's very humbling. So the cross says, welcome back to Eden, kind of. Yeah, we still deal with stuff. But God's changing us and motivating us and moving in our lives. Represent him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in your tender mercy, uh, you have spoken Christ to our lives. We thank you that, Lord Christ, 
you say here there's a baptism you have to undergo and how you wished it had already been accomplished. And we thank you for the cross, that the cross is done. And we thank you that we go back into Eden through a bloody cross that we celebrated on Good Friday. So have your way in our lives. Show us the beauty and the wonder of knowing the living God by the reality of Christ. And we trust you, we look to you, we pray to you. God, work in us. Give us the ability to speak with love and concern to those who do not know you. Forgive us for being inattentive or not listening to the GPS or being asleep and missing out on the beauty of knowing Christ. So work in us, Lord, and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen.